0: Join us from experts from All Things Weird, as well as the testimonies of people with stories of radical healing who were once told that perhaps their condition was a death sentence, that they would just need to live with it, or that drugs and invasive surgery were the only answer. Let's get into agreement that if there is something natural and non-invasive that could be helpful, that it could be your first option rather than your last resort. Hey, everybody. It's Dr. Christy and Dr. Christine. So this is actually a follow-up. She's a return guest to the Weird Works podcast. And we just thought that I know um, October Breast Cancer Health Month has just ended, but it's still important to keep the conversation going. And Dr. Christine and I were going to just do a professional um, to professional consult. And I thought. We should record it because I'm really just going to ask her questions and she's going to field it and give answers on behalf of what you guys are asking me on a regular basis. So just as a quick recap, Dr. Christine is the doctor who reads our thermography report. So when you get your report, that's her work. And are you a double board certified surgeon?
1: I am. Yeah. So I'm board certified in general surgery as well as plastic surgery and worked as a plastic surgeon for about 12 years. And, um, you know, I had a special interest in breast cancer patients. So I did a lot of breast reconstruction. And then I was just noticing that my patients were getting younger and younger and younger. And finally I was operating on women in their twenties for breast cancer. And I just thought, man, something is wrong with this. So that's when I went through the medical research to see what if anything women could do that was probably 20 Five years ago, and it was kind of before we had any kind of conversation in our culture about natural health. I never had a course in nutrition and medical school <laughs> or residency or anything, but you know, it turns out it's all diet and lifestyle related. So, um, after learning that, um, I my whole kind of career path changed, and I um, I decided to leave my uh, surgical practice so that I could dedicate myself full time to teaching people how to become and stay healthy naturally <laughs> and avoid the knife. Um, so that's where my path. About breast cancer grew, and then I got introduced to uh, thermal imaging a long time ago, and kind of uh, thought it was such a fascinating technology because it's really the only kind of preventative technology that we have. And about maybe seven years ago, I decided to start becoming in a, a physician interpreter. Um, and I, I work for a company called MedHot, uh, which is um, based in Florida, and um, and then just in this past year, I actually opened my own thermal imaging business. So I can take the images, do the interpretations, and then um, kind of help uh, health coach people uh, based on what we find on the, their thermal image.
0: I love that. That's like that's great because it's like full service from yeah. start
1: to finish. So <laughs> I said you got a full service with me. Yeah, I love
0: it. Well. Yeah. And- at our breast cancer health fair. So it was like our sixth annual event. I'm just teaching with like preventative strategies, general mm-hmm. health. And then of course the audience is always mixed. You know, we have people that maybe they're at risk or they have a family member, maybe they're a caregiver, maybe they're a survivor, maybe they're recently diagnosed and kind of figuring out the ropes and what to do and what their options were. Thermography was a big part of the event. Um, and we were teaching that as a just, you know, tool it's just so life-giving that you can find things seven years before traditional imaging and i'm just like well that's what the national cancer institute has been telling us forever that early detection saves lives but this is as early as you can find it
1: that's right It's, it's detecting imbalances rather than cancer so yeah it says that you know we're trying to pick things up at a stage where they're easily reversible with simple diet, lifestyle and you know, nutritional supplements. So that's the beauty of thermal imaging is it's a truly preventative technology where all the other types of technologies that we have for evaluating the breast tissue will only pick up something after you already have it. So I'm like, hey, I'm all about prevention. <laughs> so, so that's what thermal imaging is about too.
0: Yeah, our, and our audience will completely agree with you. Like we all are preventative, proactive mindset for sure. And I shared my story at the health fair that I had had, luckily, I feel like blessed that I knew about thermal imaging and had had them done just baseline screenings, maybe every year to two years. And so one year, suddenly my report went from completely normal, low risk to like one stage above potential like metastatic and I was like okay what in the (laughs) world is this and so I thought well I'm gonna just do what I do to the ninth degree not panic and what was really like life-giving to me about that intervention was that I was able to feel very responsible about my choices because Mm -hmm. what I noticed is that I could get imaging to show that what I was doing was helping. And I think that that's important for women too, because they don't want to feel like they're being irresponsible or being inflectful, even though a lot of people in our audience would choose to not do the most invasive,
1: you know, course. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. So, you know, that's the the great thing. Uh, There's so many wonderful things about thermal imaging, but you know, for me, like when you're, um, using the western medicine tests like you know mammography ultrasounds mri scans again they only pick up something after you already have it so of course it's extremely disempowering and it's filled full of fear whereas with thermal imaging we're picking up imbalances again years before you actually get a structural change and and like i uh, you know said it's we're picking them up in stages where they're easily reversible with simple diet lifestyle and nutritional supplements and it's so amazing with thermal imaging to see how Rapidly, we can get rid of those patterns that are an indication of an elevated risk in such a short period of time. A lot of times, we can get almost complete reversals of what would be considered fairly high risk within three months. Um, so, as you said, it's like amazing to be able to actually visually see that what you're doing is making a difference. And because of that, I think because humans are um, visual, um, it's, you know, I've noticed that um, thermal imaging is something that serves as a motivator for people to really stick on a healthy program more than any other thing that I've ever seen. Um, so it's, it's, it's wonderful. Yeah.
0: I think too, like with that, cause I don't mind within six months, like my scan six months later showed right back to low, low level. Risk. Right. And I was like, that's fast. Like that's really fast.
1: Yes. yes. Yeah, it, it is.
0: Yeah. And I think in addition to some of those benefits that we're listing, is it really allows people to slow down the clock right because we talk about like when women get a positive mammogram or a positive biopsy I think it's like a conveyor about like all of a sudden like time just is on this like fast forward and it's expected from the medical community that you're just not going to ask questions and you're going to do one thing after the next and they start lining up all these appointments and like women quickly lose their autonomy and I think allows you to slow the clock down and kind of weigh your options and just learn about what's going on so that you can be empowered. Do you find that?
1: Well, I mean, there's a couple different scenarios with that, I'd say. So thermal imaging, if we're picking up things, you know, before you have the disease, then then that's, you know, of most benefit. Um, If somebody actually does have breast cancer, Um, Thermal imaging is something that can be very useful and kind of um, giving us a indication of what the outcomes, you know, will be. So for instance, if we see that um, there's a lot of vascularity and things look really hot, that's usually an indication that there's a lot of blood flow there and it's a more aggressive tumor. If we don't see anything in thermal imaging, it's not a failure of thermal imaging. Um, It actually tells us that the tumor doesn't have much of a blood supply and that's very slow growing and that the outcomes are going to be great. And I've seen that pretty much hundred percent, you know, when we know somebody who has breast cancer and we get a uh, thermal uh, imaging that doesn't show anything. So again, um, it's re- that's an important distinction, I think, because, um, you know, in the criticisms of thermal imaging, you know, I've heard, well, you know, it misses, you know, <laughs> breast cancers, but, you know, the thing is, is that we don't want to use thermal imaging to mine for breast cancer. We want to use it as a preventative tool again. So we want to be able to monitor your physiological changes over time. And what that means is you need to get regular thermal imaging. So it may be once every six months or once every year, depending on what your findings are on the the thermal imaging. But it's important to do it regularly because then that allows us to kind of monitor your dynamic changes in your metabolism and your physiology over time. And the moment we see something, we can jump right on it, you know, and again, at a stage where it's easily reversible and that's really empowering.
0: (laughs) It is, and that's important. I mean, it's, like, just a scary topic in general. I think that, you know, just fear of that really carries a lot of emotional baggage with it as well, and so, like, more hope and the more empowerment that you can provide, the better.
1: Yeah, and, you know, that fear, that's an important, you know, um, issue, too, because I've definitely heard friends of mine who say, oh, I don't want to do any thermal imaging. I don't want to know. It like makes you scared. But I, I you know, have to emphasize, it's like, okay, it's not like a Western test where we're looking for something and, and you're, you've either got cancer or you don't. You know, it's, it's that we're looking for you know, those early imbalances and giving you know, completely empowering you to have control over your health and, and uh, being able to prevent you know, serious diseases.
0: Right. Agreed. So some of the questions that are coming through on behalf of our patients, because at our clinic, we don't cure or treat cancer, but we have women in all different phases of cancer, cancer prevention, or even like post-recovery after they've done some traditional medicine. And what I, I do have a high number of women with breast cancer right now, so we can chat hmm. the causes of that and what's going on. Um, yeah. But You know, I think immediately they want to know that they're being responsible. Mm -hmm. And I don't think they necessarily know who to turn to. So I know I always reach out to you and I'm like, and you've been awesome as a resource and like you've even connected directly with the patients which we super appreciate because I'm always trying to make sure that we have a medical expert on our team alongside of all the beautiful diet and lifestyle and detoxification that we can work on and supplementation and antioxidants and on and on and on but you know we're not medical physicians and so um do you want to maybe just go through like how, what is your guidance to women? Is it always, you know, surgery, biopsy, chemo, radiation? How do you make the distinction to tell a woman when they can slow down the clock, when they can try natural measures, jump to, you know, the natural conveyor belt kind of thing we're saying? Mm -hmm. Want to talk
1: about that? Sure, okay, so um, so first of all, if a woman is diagnosed with breast cancer, you know, breast cancers, there's many different types, you know, so it's not just one thing. And then there's all these different stages, you know, that they can be in too. So, the decision about what type of conventional treatment that you need to have is based on the stage, the type, your receptor status, and all these kinds of things. So so there's a lot of uh, variables that go into determining like what's the best course of action for you. So it's very individual, you know, it's not like there's some, you know, cookbook, you know, thing with it. Um, So the one thing that I think is really important to kind of emphasize is that when you have a breast cancer, we know that um, if it's something that you can actually feel, you know, it's been there for many, many years. I mean, usually it's been there for about seven, eight years if it's at least a centimeter in size. So a lot of women are gonna feel the pressure from their doctors, you know, to do something with it immediately. And so they just kind of like feel pushed into the system like that. And so the important thing to understand is again, it's been there for a long time. It's not an emergency you have plenty of time just to take your time, take a breath, you know, and investigate all the different kind of uh, venues and and treatment courses that they've recommended, you know, for you, Um, and we usually say, hey, you know, you can take, easily take three months, you know, to really investigate, and then uh, make sure that you uh, come up with a plan that really you're comfortable with, and and that works for you, Um, and it's not going to, Um, affect your outcomes you know in any way so you do have you know time now uh, what the research shows is if you do a combination of western medicine techniques with complementary and alternative medicine techniques you get the very best outcomes so just going straight western medicine is you know you get some good results with that going straight uh you know Uh, alternative. um, It certainly helps a lot. It usually doesn't completely eliminate the tumor. Unfortunately, I wish we could do it that way, but most of the time that doesn't work. But if we do a combination of the two, that's when we get the very best outcomes, you know, with it. And there's things that we can do um, as far as various different nutritional supplements that can help to take away many of the side effects of the various different chemotherapeutic drugs. So I've been working with women for about 20 years on that specifically, you know, where we determine what drugs they're being prescribed. We look at what their side effects are. And then we know what nutritional supplements are the things that can help to prevent the various different side effects. Um, And so usually they just sail right through chemo. They have no nausea, no vomiting, no weight loss Their blood counts, you know, stay normal. The only thing we don't do so well is to prevent hair loss. But other than that, um, usually people can sail right through. So that's like super important, you know, for people to know because they have such a dreaded um, concept of what happens with chemo, but it doesn't have to be that way. Um, And then in addition to that, when your doctors are telling you the statistics, you know, so this is a a difficult thing where they're going to look at the statistics of, you know, your tumor, its size, what your, you know, receptors are and everything. And they'll say, well, if you do, you know, this, 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 this is what your chances of survival are. And again, I love to emphasize to women that when the doctors are giving those statistics, that they're actually talking about all the women that are involved in all the different studies who the vast majority of them had absolutely no coaching on diet and lifestyle or nutritional supplements. Once you start adding those things in, we have an astronomical improved statistical outcome. So I always tell everybody just throw those statistics out the window because when you're doing everything else that you can do in conjunction, you know, with that, as far as having the cleanest diet, you know, that you can, um, you know, getting exercise in, really working on your sleep, maybe meditation to help with you know the stress release. And then we add, you know, uh, some key nutritional supplements with that and the treatments that you were talking about, you know, as well in your office, those supportive ones well then, you know, your, your chances of survival are just massively improved. So, um, you know, that's another thing for, for, that I think is extremely important for people to be aware of is just like, don't take those stats you know that the doctors give to you at face value. It's like, know that you can influence your risk tremendously, um, by the, by your diet lifestyle and then, uh, the key nutritional supplements.
0: Yeah. I love that. Well, and I, it, so this is another thing. So what, can you empower women with that are listening? they you know, often they'll go and they'll, ch- no, they go in strong and they try to advocate for themselves and the off the get-go. And they tell that their doctor and oncologist and the whole team, but I'm gonna be doing these alternative therapies, uh-huh. you know, side of it. I'm gonna be taking supplements and herbs and so on. And they tell uh-huh. them, oh, you can't, like those things are gonna interfere with the chemo uh-huh.
1: and make yeah. it. Well, they always say that, and it does make me really mad because <laughs> <laughs> generally speaking, it's not true. Um, and um, so there's various different things that you can do. So there are people that are professional patient advocates is, is the name of them, um, their profession. And so they can help um, you as far as helping coach you. I kind of serve that way, you know, too, but um, this is somebody that can really help you and talk with your doctors too, um, if you have you know, difficulty talking with your doctors and advocating for yourself. Um, the other thing that I recommend is that there are integrative or more holistic um, oncologists. And so if you can find someone like that to work with, that's who you want to work with. Um, they aren't as common, you know, as, a, as kind of the standard Western trained ones. And if you're in an area where you really can't get somebody that's more integrative, um, then you um, I tell them not to tell their doctors what they're doing so they can just make their life easier, <laughs> you know, yeah. do what they're doing, but it's like, there's no reason to be telling people that aren't going to be open to it. Um, so I, I just, you know, that's what I tell them to do. Yeah. We'll be right back after this message.
0: Are you tired of going from diet to diet to come up short and feel worse than you did when you started? Or are you just lost with all the mixed messaging out there today and not sure what's best for you and your lifestyle? Maybe you were told that you had to live with your symptoms and accept feeling less than your typical vibrant self. Well, I'm here to tell you the truth. As a practicing doctor of chiropractic kinesiology and clinical nutrition, I see people all the time that are just like you frustrated and starting to lose hope. But I do want you to know that you do not have to give up on the you that you know you could be. There is a way to truly achieve optimal health and also to live your life. I want to share with you how, by doing some small doable adjustments and taking on a new approach to enjoyable and non-restrictive eating, we can help you start feeling better and begin to see changes in your waistline and start releasing weight in as little as 14 days. I've used this analogy before. I'm like, there is no way that whole food supplementation and diet and herbs are going to interfere with chemotherapy. I say that is like me stepping out in front of a freight train with my little hand, trying to stop it. Like those drugs are powerful. Like they're going to do what they're supposed to do, right?
1: right? Yeah, I mean, they do. And they're, I mean, probably one of the biggest questions that there was was about taking and, and antioxidants at the same time. So there was a study that was done years ago that showed that there were vitamin C receptors on tumor cells that they saw like in a Petri dish. Yeah. And they're like, Oh, you shouldn't take any antioxidants because you know, there's vitamin C receptors on the, on the tumor cells. And it's like, well, wait a minute. It's a whole different thing when you have a whole being, <laughs> and you have the tumor in the person, <laughs> and, um, and how the behaviors, you know, of things, you know, are. And so, there was um, huge amounts of research that were done looking at. Um, doing very potent antioxidants in addition to doing chemotherapy and radiation, and the conclusion was it does not interfere with the effectiveness of chemo or radiation. In fact, it seems to be beneficial, you know, for it. So it helps to protect against the organ damage, you know, that it can cause, and, and the statistically the outcomes are a little bit improved. Um, so that one makes me crazy, you know, when they talk about that. But there's so many kind of misunderstandings of various different things where they, you know, are telling um, their patients. Is really, you know, really bad advice. Um, but most of it, you know, is kind of misunderstandings. But like you okay. said, a super healthy diet is packed full of antioxidants and anti-inflammatories, and you know, as much fresh, you know, vegetables and whole foods that you can possibly have. And and uh, we we definitely know that those things are incredibly important to, and for good outcomes.
0: Absolutely. So do you mind if I go through like some of the, like if it's triple negative, estrogen positive, progesterone all that, just to kind of talk about what is the best outcome, worst outcome, what's the most aggressive, least aggressive, maybe if you can talk about like.
1: Uh-huh. So there's, um, there's some receptors, um, like hormone receptors that will be on the uh, membranes of the tumor cells. And so when you have a biopsy done, they take that tissue and they send it to the pathologist and they do some special staining on there to determine what your receptors are. So kind of the key ones that we look for is, does it respond to estrogen, progesterone? Um, And then there's also um, um, a gene that's called HER, H-E-R-2, the the, uh, number two, new, N-E-U. And that um, particular one, if it stains positive for that, um, that is considered more aggressive. If you are estrogen and progesterone positive, that's the best kind of receptor status because it allows us many different kinds of pathways of um, of, uh, suppressing the tumor growth. Um, if you are estrogen and progesterone negative and HER2 new negative, that's called a triple negative cancer. Usually that happens in younger uh, people and that's considered more aggressive because it's not responding to estrogen or progesterone. Then it kind of decreases the number of kind of pathways that we have for, for de- decreasing tumor growth. If you're HER, HER2 new positive, Kind of a cool thing that happened with that is that although it, it, it kind of classically is considered a more aggressive tumor, um, there is what we call a targeted therapy for HER2 new. So in other words, when we use chemotherapy, um, those are generally not targeted therapies because they're they're just kind of like a having an effect on your whole system. Uh, but HER2 new, there's a there's a, a medication called Herceptin, which specifically binds onto the HER2 new gene. So it doesn't cause a kind of a whole systemic global, you know, side effects to it. There are some side effects, but they're minimal compared to what we have with normal, you know, chemotherapy, but it's specifically targeting, you know, that particular gene that's overexpressing. And so um, what they find is that because it's so effective with that, we actually get better outcomes uh, because we can use Herceptin. And then in addition to that, so this is just like a great example of about how combining Western with a complementary and alternative medicine is so powerful. So there's certain natural um, um, substances. So for instance, uh, evening primrose oil um, that will, evening primrose oil and olive oil, both will um, hook onto the HER2 new gene. And so they both cause the Herceptin to have a massively increased killing effect, uh, particularly evening primrose oil. So it's like a 40 times improved killing effect of the, of the um, tumor cells when you combine evening primrose oil with Herceptin. So we just have such effective treatments, you know, with that particular um, type of, of tumor that, um, like I said, it used to be, you know, kind of feared because it was more aggressive, but because our treatment is so effective, then it's not, you know, as feared.
0: Awesome. I love that. That was a great rundown of it. Cause I think women get all these testing cause that's what they're told to do. And then they get all this data. They don't really, it doesn't really, it kind of more per- paralyzes them than enables them to make decisions. Right.
1: Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Okay, so now that we know that, do you want to go to what the different stages mean?
1: Sure. So um, they usually tell you stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four. And so stage one is the earliest. Um, So no matter like how small it is, you're still going to be like stage one, as long as you have invasive they call it, meaning that where they're seeing the tumor cells is actually invaded into the surrounding tissue. So I'll just give a distinction about, um, there's a condition called ductal carcinoma in situ. So that's DCIS. And the person, the doctor who came up with that terminology wishes he never did, because it turns out that it's actually not cancer, DCIS. And so it's just it's a tumor marker it's telling us that it's that there's an elevated risk of developing invasive cancer at some point but it's actually not that high. There's like a 3% or 5% increased risk. Um, So because there's so much confusion about it, mammography is something that will actually pick up DCIS. So this is kind of a newer phenomenon that occurred once we were doing mammograms. And, And so then it's like, well, how are we supposed to treat this? And so because they didn't know, they started treating everybody as if they had breast cancer. And the sad thing is, is that they actually don't have breast cancer. It's a it's a, you know, like I said, kind of a tumor marker of the DCIS. Now, there's this really uh, amazing doctor that, that works at um, University of California in San Francisco, uh, Dr. Laura Esserman. So she's a, um, a, a surgeon. And so she questioned, you know, why are we treating, you know, women with DCIS as if they had breast cancer? Um, and and um, and when in fact they don't. And so she conducted, and this has been a bunch of years ago now. She started a, a study where <clears throat> what they did was to look at the uh, DCIS, and then they looked at all sorts of different subcategories of them. Hang on. So what they did is they looked at the pathology of the DCIS, and they found things from where it looked like it was um, really slow growing and really benign looking to ones that looked more aggressive. Mm-hmm. and they customized the treatment based on what the pathology showed. So if it looked like it was really aggressive and about ready to become invasive, then yes, they needed, you know, a little bit more aggressive <laughs> um, treatment. So um, anyway, you know, that's the important thing is to look at the DCIS It's like, well, what's the real pathology? Same thing as stage zero. Is that what we're calling? That's it? the stage zero, right. I'm like, same, again, people will say, oh, I had breast cancer. You know, they did a lumpectomy radiation. It's just like, oh my God. Because in that stage, you know, again, that's a stage where we can get things to reverse, you know. So it's like we'd want to do a really kind of aggressive, alternative, you know, healthy diet lifestyle and the supplements and other treatments. And we and oftentimes we can get it to completely reverse. I love it. Now with stage one, <clears throat> that's when we actually have invasive cancers. Okay. And um, again, they're all over the map, kind of based on what the tumor markers are. And we also, there's a test that's called a, um, okay, just a second, <laughs> Oncotype DX test. So the Oncotype DX test is a test that, that, ha- that um, looks at 21 different genes in the tumor itself. And it's extremely accurate at determining um, what the um, level or risk of recurrence would be. So the numbers go from like zero to 30. If it's like 14 or below, that's super low. And the risk of of, um, um, recurring is extremely low. In the mid kind of section of it, then it's, um, you know, we kind of look at different factors about what's the best way to treat it. And if it's in the higher, you know, part of it, then usually they'd want to treat you with some chemotherapy because it's got a high risk of recurring. They will only run that test if it is an estrogen positive tumor and it hasn't metastasized, you know, to the lymph nodes or anyplace else. So it has to be a stage one or two. It has to be estrogen positive for that test to occur. Now, Can you
0: request it? Can you request that test? Or yes. is there
1: no yes. yeah? I tell I, I tell everybody to request that test. More and more uh places are doing it. It used to be really hitting this, and now it's much more of a common you know thing. As I mean, it's been around for a very long time. So I mean, I don't know, 10, 15 years, maybe longer. Um <clears throat> So then, a stage two disease uh, is—it's all about the measurements or the size, you know, of the tumor. So we want to—we have really small ones that—that's so stage one. If it's, you know, more than two centimeters, then it would go into a stage two. At stage three, there is metastasis to the lymph nodes, and at stage four, it's metastasized other areas. So it might be, you know, bone or, you know, things like that. Right. But, but,
0: so then I would assume it's in order to take advantage of these tests and the typing to know outcomes and treatment options. I would assume a biopsy is
1: required. Oh, yes, absolutely. Otherwise, we don't know what we're dealing with. You know, you have no idea. So you just have to. So that's another, you know, big area. That's controversial. <laughs> yeah. Where people say, Oh, if I have a biopsy, it's gonna cause my tumor to spread. Well, if if that were true. Then every single tumor that had ever been biopsied, which is like 99% of them, is going to have metastasized, and that's not you know what happens at all. I mean, most of them we catch early and they're stage one, and the outcomes are you know excellent. Um, so there was, you know, a lot of controversy about this. So there's been studies done, and so what they did determine was that when you stick a needle in it, <clears throat> sometimes, gosh darn it, they could find that. Um, there were some little isolated tumor cells along the track of where the tumor or the the needle went in. The thing is, is that if you have that tumor, usually they're going to take that area out, you know, when you have the lumpectomy done. The other thing is, is that a tumor is constantly shedding tumor cells into your lymphatics and blood system. We just, we know that. I mean, by definition, you know, it's systemic, doesn't matter how Uh, early stage it is we're constantly shedding tumor cells you know out so your body's immune system is able to recognize those individual cells and get rid of them it's the hard thing when you got a formed you know tumor with you know trillions of cells that's when it's harder for your body's immune system to handle it but those little isolated cells usually your immune system is, is just handling it. So it's the same kind of concept. I mean, if there's any kind of spread with it, it's like, well, it's just these isolated cells and your body can, you know, can handle it. And we do not see an increased risk of, you know, metastasis or lymph node metastasis after a needle biopsy has, you know, been done you know, statistically. So I think you just don't have to worry about that.
0: Okay, that's good because I know some people are trying to find surgeons who will maybe do a lumpectomy or, you know, cut the tumor out. But they're trying to find surgeons who won't will do that without a biopsy. And what do you say? And then study that tumor in pathology versus a biopsy.
1: You know, it's just it's a tough one because we want to know ahead of time. You know, like what we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. It's possible. I mean, if it's really small, there would be a possibility of you know. Um, taking it out, but see, here's another thing that'll happen too, where you don't, you don't know. So sometimes like on mammography or on ultrasound or something, the tumor will look like it's the, the smaller, you know, thing and it's, there's another type. So most of the tumors are called intraductal, meaning that they start in the ducts of the, of the um, breast there is another type that's a little less common called lobular carcinoma that starts uh, starts in the kind of the lobules, which are where the milk you know uh, areas are, and that one doesn't show up very well on uh, mammography. Um, it's more of a diffuse thing. Um, so if we actually do find it, then um, you know trying to figure out axial what the confines of it uh, are difficult, you know, so once they get in there and maybe they do a lumpectomy, I mean, sometimes they find, oh my gosh, it actually spread out further here and we couldn't even see it because it wasn't forming like a discrete, you know, tumor mass, you know, like that. So, um, that's the, you know, the, the difficulties, you know, cause you want to be able to plan the right surgery for a person too. Yeah.
0: And- And you had given guidance to one of our patients recently, she was trying to do minimally invasive, you know, without as many of the, you know, therapies before or after. And I find that more and more, that's what people are seeking. Mm -hmm. And you're a breast surgeon, you knew what it would look like cosmetically after and you had told her, you know, well, because of the location of this tumor, like you really don't, you won't be happy having a because of puckering and all this. And so she did, she's recovering wonderfully right now, which she did have the
1: mastectomy. Okay. Yeah. Because sometimes like if the tumor is close to the nipple, you know, mm-hmm. if you do a lumpectomy in that area, it's going to make your breast look like a donut <laughs> you know, with a hole in the middle. And then you right. radiate it and then, you know, it's, it looks awful. So there's no point, you know, in doing that and you can get much better results with reconstruction. Yeah. Which
0: is something that if somebody's advocating for themselves and trying to call the shots, like they wouldn't necessarily right. Like, right. You know anything. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: We'll be right back after this message.
0: Americans spend $33 billion every single year on diets and weight loss products, and yet diets have a 95% failure rate. These statistics and my 18 plus years experience as a practicing doctor show me the real dangers of a cookie cutter approach to health and that truthfully diets don't work. This is why I created the 9010 lifestyle for the people like you and me busy and not willing to settle for less when it comes to our health and wellness. This program isn't just about feeling fantastic and or losing weight for good, it's a roadmap to upgrading your body and mind from the inside out, while simultaneously suppressing the inflammation and suppressing the guilt that often comes with a high stress, high expectations, and high performance. The number one reason the 9010 lifestyle is so effective and easy to maintain is that it gives you back your willpower instead of forcing it. Okay. So we talked about the stages and the different markers. We talked about biopsy. Um, So this was interesting. The professional patient advocates are like a naturopathic oncologist. Is there a great like database or resource where people can go to find these types of options in their area?
1: Um, You know, I would just Google it and and see so that, um, you know, there's people that I used to refer uh, to, and it doesn't matter if they're in your town or not, you know, like the main person I used was in New York, and another one in San Francisco, and unfortunately, the one in New York died of pancreatic cancer, and and then the other one retired from it, so I I don't know, I don't don't have somebody that I, like, standardly refer to, but I would just um, Google it, you know, and see um, about who, you know, uh, is a patient advocate, and and they can help unbelievably well. I mean, I just, the people that I referred to those folks were so grateful. They said it was incredibly helpful. Yeah,
0: because you do, sometimes it's paralyzing to try to go through this. Yeah. And if you don't have a great support network or mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, the spouse might be advocating for or against particular therapies or courses of action where the patient themselves is like kind of caught in the middle and you right. really support too and encouragement.
1: Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a good point there too, where um, I always tell uh, someone who's just been diagnosed with cancer to always bring somebody with them to their appointments because you're in a such a state of shock. You can't hear anything. I mean, it's just like, it just kind of comes in and goes out and everybody's like that, you know, so when I would do my initial consultations with people that had been newly diagnosed with, with breast cancer and I would do my initial consultation about um, the types of reconstruction I'd make it a super short appointment I'd hardly you know talk about anything and then I'd have them come back and it's like and you had to have somebody with you because um you just can't take it in you know so you, you need to have somebody who's not in that state of shock who can take notes and ask you know questions and you know like that and help you yeah A good point.
0: Okay, last little note that I wanted you to potentially comment on was, there's all sorts of awesome documentaries out there and I think, you know, mostly our patients that are of faith Get their hands on these about people that are considered radical healers that had stage four metastatic cancer. And maybe some had the surgery, you know, had the tumor cut out of them. Maybe some didn't. And then they did all these natural, awesome, amazing things. And really, like, dead. I mean, they didn't dabble in it, right? They completely dedicated their entire life to being well again. And Mm -hmm. like, gone. Like, what do you want to say about that?
1: Well, so the, um, So as far as different approaches, like I said, if we do a combination of Western with you know alternative, that's when we get the very best you know results. Now we will hear about these um, kind of you know um, amazing healings that can occur, um, you know, with with different you know healers. It's it's so rare. I mean, it's kind of like winning the lottery. So I'm just like you know I'd rather stack my uh, my odds. <laughs> in favor of me with with everything you know so um you know i did go to uh, brazil and see john god who's no longer you know uh, practicing <laughs> but um i mean i saw complete miracle healings and i you know would send people down there and stuff too but um so it, it's possible, um, I, I would say another thing that, you know, I'll do is, is send people to certain clinics, um, like in Germany, there's one, I live in San Diego. So there's one in Tijuana that I'm that, um, I'm very familiar with, and the doctors there that are absolutely excellent. And they do many, many different approaches, you know, at the same time. And lots of times they recommend surgery. They'll recommend, you know, chemotherapy, but maybe at, you know, like smaller dosages and, and things like that. Um, because whenever you have cancer, I mean, it is like a, a life-threatening illness is to be taken very seriously. Just doing a few diet and lifestyle changes is not gonna do it. I mean, you have to do just massive amounts of supportive things. uh, and this is even if somebody wants to do a lumpectomy and not do radiation, that's when I tell them, hey, you're going to be prepared to be spending, I don't know, 40, dollars $60,000, 80000 going to one of these clinics, doing massive aggressive, you know, alternative therapies um, in order to make sure that you're getting, you know, enough aggressive treatment, you know, for that. Um, so it's not cheap, <laughs> but it's, it's what's required, you know, to be able to um, really eradicate, you know, that from your body. Um, but again, with statistically, we get the very best approaches when we do a combination and most of those Western treatments from the chemotherapy to the radiation that there are um, you know, herbs, supplements, n- nutritional therapies, IVs of things that we can do that will help to take away the terrible side effects and enhance the killing effects. So it really minimizes any kind of you know, uh, bad side effects that you would experience from the, from the Western treatments.
0: Which is important too, because I've witnessed people who have gone a hundred percent just conventional and then tried to come in after the fact, or maybe too late in the middle of all of that. And it's almost impossible to get healing foods and even like juicing and supplements, them because if they've gotten to the point where they have neuropathy and they can't difficulty swallowing, it's like, we can't get enough of the therapies in them to make a difference at that
1: point. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Uh
0: Yeah, so that's difficult. Um, So are there any good blood tests to screen or monitor for cancer?
1: Well, there there are blood tests for various different kinds of cancers, not for breast cancer. I mean, there's no reliable blood test for that. Um, but for other, you know, types of cancers like prostate cancer, you know, is a good example. Cause they look for the PSA, although it's not, you know, real specific, you know, for it, that's something, um, we looked like with ovarian cancer, they, they look at something called CEA, um, you know, with liver cancer, we can, you know, look at those things too. So there's a few things and then there's, um, this is a harder one to get, but they, um, certain Labs and more in alternative type clinics and stuff do something called a circulating tumor cell, you know, count. So they can actually take your blood and then kind of isolate the, the tumor cells so they can see how much you know of the circulating tumor cells that you have.
0: Okay. <clears throat> and that can be done for breast cancer. Yes. Uh-huh. Is that also a test to monitor? Because then let's talk about like post-therapy, like say you're recovering, you had whatever conventional and alternative combinations of treatments, the cancer Mm -hmm. on tests look good, but then you're in a wait and see period. And that also has a whole lot of emotional benefits. Yeah.
1: Well, I always say there's no wait and see period because, so, so I wrote a, a book <laughs> called Waking the Warrior Goddess, and it won a national book award for the best book in health, medicine, and nutrition when it came out. So it was anything and everything I could find that had any kind of statistically significant influence either you need to avoid because um, it increases your risk or the things you need to favor because it lowers your risk. So there's a massive amount of stuff that you can continually do as far as like you mentioned juicing you can be doing the detoxes you can be um, you know just uh, making sure your lifestyle is you know optimized Um, I I, again I'm a huge proponent of doing meditation Um, so really integrating all of those things into your life so it's not just a during the treatments of cancer that you do that it's like a whole you know, diet and lifestyle that you will follow for the rest of your life. So you're continually doing those things and taking, you know, uh, nutritional supplements and and um, so forth. So there's no watching and waiting. It's like a, you know, full on aggressive, you know, your focus on your health, you know, forever, you know, so that um, help to And that's going to minimize your, you know, risk of, of getting a recurrence.
0: Yeah. And I love that you said that. Like we, we said earlier, like this isn't something you dabble in. You don't just like start drinking carrot juice, but then keep the standard American diet and all your stressful, yeah. like, you know, maybe hazardous conditions and toxic exposures and all, like you got to go all in and yeah. it is life. It is, a, it has to be a forever lifestyle, right?
1: Yeah. And, you know, and I, you know, I always coach my patients to my cancer patients. It's like, okay you know, if you take a 50,000 foot view on like, why do we get cancer? You know, like, why do we, or why do we have, you know, human illnesses? And so, um, you know, for me, it's like, well, from a spiritual standpoint, it's kind of, it's an opportunity, you know, uh, that's uh, a learning, like really, you know, a learning opportunity. And, and that, um, when people like lots of cancer patients will say, you know, the best thing that ever happened to me was having cancer, and you think, how in the world could they possibly say that? Well, because when you get cancer, if the opportunity there is for you to do this complete inventory of your life, and you're looking at, you know, do you hate your job? Do you love what you're doing? You know, what about your relationships? And relationships play a huge role in right. uh, the risk of developing breast cancer. In fact, of All the things that we know that, um, you know, uh, kind of are things that promote the growth of breast cancer. The one thing that has more of an effect than anything else, more than diet, more than smoking, more than genetics, are our emotions and particularly the emotion of feeling loved and supported. If you feel loved and supported, I mean, you could smoke and drink, I always laugh. You can smoke and drink and would <laughs> love to be hundred years old. If you have toxic relationships in your life, that's the worst stress on the on the human body. So, you know, I say, hey, you just be ruthless, you know, about who you allow in your life. And the only people you allow in your life are people that are loving and supportive, you know, like that's it. And you surround yourself with those people. And then you look at every aspect. I mean, can you do anything, you know, upgrade your diet? What, how's your exercise? How's your sleep? How's your spiritual life? How, you know, all of that stuff. And then you can say, all right, (laughs) like, I get it. I get where these things were often. This is where, you know, I can, um, you know, upgrade or, you know, make a big difference. Um, I also think that doing emotional work is one of the most important things for people to get well uh, because there's always like core emotional issues at the base of, you know, any kind of, you know, disease that we see. And so I oftentimes send people to um, this wonderful, um, uh, she's a psychotherapist, hypnotherapist, counselor. She's in uh, Northern California, Uh, Gail Rayborn is her name, Uh, but she works by telephone. And um, and one of her specialties is working with cancer patients, and just really getting at the root of like why did this happen, and, and kind of going through hypnosis. It's like you know we you know you know most people know why did this happen. You know there could be some severe stress that happened in a person's life, loss of a loved one, loss of a child, divorce, you know loss of a job. There's like a twelve times higher incidence of developing breast cancer within five years of having one of those major stresses, you know, in your life. Um, but it's very, you know, clear then to you about why did this happen? What do you need to turn that around? And I don't care what those statistics are that your doctor tells you, when you turn those things around, I mean, the likelihood of you having a great outcome is astronomically high. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: I love that's so encouraging and empowering. It might be hard for people to hear and to be yeah. con- <sighs> the easiest thing. But, you know, detox doesn't just mean diet in your pantry. and right. Yeah, people detox too.
1: <laughs> yeah, you do. And it, I mean, it's a very hard, uh, to me, it's the hardest thing is going through the emotional work. I mean, to me, physically changing your diet ah, that's nothing. You can drink some juice or whatever, but getting in there, you know, and, and working with those emotions, that that's a big deal. But, you know, another thing that's super, super cool I think in this day and age is that there's so many different techniques that have been developed that are kind of like instantaneous. So it's not like you have to go to a therapist and do talk therapy for 20 years. It's like, there's certain things we'll find that, you know, within our nervous system or how our brain is wired, that there's techniques that we can do. They're instantaneous as far as like releasing those, you know, things. That's the way I like to work, you know, but there's many different techniques like that. You know, so um, I have those in my book, you know, too, um, as far as the resources that you can um, find for those various different techniques. Yeah
0: and I find it helpful too we have somebody locally they are right down the street um Dr. Megan Dr. Mike do neuroemotional technique and that helps out of the you know just type a multitasker spaghetti oh. for the place control freak like that wasn't helping me and that was a big part of my positive thermography test a few years ago as well um That's, but yeah oh, it's super powerful
1: mm-hmm.
0: It is. You don't have to just do talk therapy. I think that's more uncomfortable than some of these subconscious reprogramming techniques that we're discussing.
1: Yeah, you know, plus it takes forever or whatever. But yeah, I'm like, and I try everything, you know, because I'm just like, oh, this is cool. Let me try that, you know. So I've tried, you know, amazing things, and it's like, yeah, the it's just like an instantaneous thing where it's like, oh my god, how's that happen? Yeah.
0: Yeah. A lot of people, once they go, they tell us that it's literally like they, within a couple of sessions, we're able to accomplish like what years, sometimes decades of toxic. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like well, yeah. that's what we want. <laughs> you know, we are an instant gratification um, culture. So
1: <laughs> no, but you're right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's what I thought, you know, when I first up. I thought, oh my God, This was like five years of therapy packed into one day or something, yeah. Well, and
0: this this is kind of random, not random, but I kept circling this, like this triple negative cancer that has the worst outcomes because of, you know, it's not linked to hormones and it's not linked to genetics. Do you think that that is just the the evidence that like all cancers aren't genetic? Like a very small percentage of them, their diet, lifestyle, accumulation of all these dressers,
1: toxins, parasites, immune, like, emotions, right, so yeah, the the researchers, you know, came to the conclusion, at least in the realm of, you know, breast cancer, that 95% of the cases could be prevented just through diet and lifestyle changes alone, yeah, so, That again, super empowering, I mean, our most common cancers are, you know, breast, prostate, colon cancers, and and all of those cancers are very similar, and all of them respond to, you know, diet and lifestyle uh, measures extremely well, yeah.
0: And all the things that we discussed today are really just part of a healthy diet and lifestyle anyway. It doesn't I know we're talking about cancer, but you could insert metabolic disease and diabetes and heart disease and chronic pain syndromes Like
1: these are the things that are
0: proven to work against.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I was doing my breast cancer book, <laughs> the initial first edition of it, which was back in like 2004, I mean, it was 20 years ago. It's in a edition now. But anyway, when I was researching it, I was like, well, I mean, these are all the things that are going to lower the risk of breast cancer, but it definitely is not specific for breast cancer. I mean, these are the, the you know, steps you need to do to have excellent health that's going to avoid every kind of chronic disease. So, yeah, for
0: sure. Yeah. So, you could just republish it and not put the warrior you got as breast cancer. <laughs> To cover into say chronic diseases. Oh,
1: okay. there's, there's my second book, which is called <laughs> Radiant Health, Ageless Beauty. So that's not about any disease, but it's how to you know become and stay healthy natural, which I I, like. I never learned when I was in medical school. But yeah, so that's how I I reformatted it. <laughs> I already
0: thought of it. She's there. Yes. <laughs> Okay, well, this has been super informative. It's been a great follow-up to our first podcast. Um, Any last comments before we close for today?
1: Well, I always like to emphasize that um, although we talk about all these different things that you need to do and it might seem kind of overwhelming, it's incredibly simple and easy to um, dramatically reduce your risk of any kind of chronic disease. So the research shows that when you do one healthy thing, for instance, it will cut your risk in half of breast cancer. (laughs) If you do more than one thing, those things Will multiply up together, they don't add up together. You know, so like a great example is turmeric and green tea. So green tea will enhance the anti-cancer effects of turmeric by three times, and turmeric enhances the anti-cancer effects of green tea by eight times if you're taking them at the same time. So we get these huge kind of multiplications. So really it's it's unbelievably easy to dramatically lower your risk with just a few, you know, simple changes. <laughs>
0: totally love that. I think that's so empowering and that's what we're all about, just teaching people, you know, alternative, although I say common sense, I think alternative really helps people learn about it, proactive preventative measures that they can do so that they don't feel like it's not just wait and see or wait for some inevitable diagnosis, their disease and then pour on the heroics after the fact, like it's exactly. more that you can do,
1: right? Uh-huh. Absolutely. And- <laughs>
0: we will put your book um link and um your contact information and website in the show notes so if anybody wants to follow up with dr christine horner one-on-one you know she could be your advocate she has definitely been an awesome Um, resource for our patients she will read your thermography so if we and we can go over that together and sometimes we'll pull her in to consult on it we'll put all those resources for you to do your own research I mean that's what we advocate for you guys is do your own research and find out for yourself and do what you feel is in your power to do right yes (laughs) yeah okay well thank you guys for listening and good health naturally. This has been another amazing episode of the Weird Works Podcast. Thank you, Dr. Christine. You're welcome. So great to
1: talk with you again.
0: Your health and how you feel on a daily basis directly impact your mental, emotional, and spiritual health. We will help you reprogram your way of thinking and be on a plan that works for your body instead of against it. It is time to rewrite the false belief that health abnormalities are normal and that it just is what it is. You do not have to live with feeling less than 100%.
1: We invite you to take a serious look at how you feel on a day-to-day basis. Is what you're doing working? Do you wanna learn how to live a more holistic life that's still enjoyable and fun? The 9010 lifestyle can be the bridge from subpar results to the vibrant and abundant lifestyle that you've been looking for. So click the link by this video so you can get started today. We truly, truly know that this program can change your life. We'll see you on the inside.